I do subscribe to a lot of the concepts of the 5am club. So a lot of the practices that they'll mention, like the traffic university or, you know, getting your exercise, all of those things. Those are things that I incorporate as part of my day. Maybe not as part of that first hour that they've indicated, you know, your 20 minute split blocks and all of those things. But I think their concepts are good. So I do try and make sure that I incorporate those. This is the business of Hey and welcome to the very first episode of the business of for 2021. So it's not every day that you meet someone who calls themselves a chief disruptor of a company, but that's exactly how Christine Tudope of Upvisor describes herself. Believing that productivity and profitability are directly connected, Christine is on a quest to find new ways of doing things that will not only enrich the lives of solopreneurs and small business owners, but of the lives of graduates entering the workforce for the first time too. In addition to running her own business, she holds C-suite positions at a startup enterprise, is helping to develop the next generation of entrepreneurs through her Upvisor Academy, and has her hands full with her own continued learning and development. If you're in search of how to best utilize your 24 hours that you get every day, Christine is the blueprint. We chatted about keeping balls in the air, passion versus skill, creating a passive income, and I gave her a mild heart attack as I explained how I handle my email. Without further ado, here's Christine. Thank you, Christine, for being part of my show. The way we met was really random, but I'm glad that we did. And I'm quite excited to get chatting to you. So do you want to maybe just break the ice by telling us a little bit about yourself and then kind of give a brief overview about what it is that you do and how and why you ended up doing it? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me, Megan. It's really nice to be here. It's it's always nice to be on someone else's platform and not always have someone on my platform. So thank you for the opportunity. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So my name is Christine Tadop. I am a chartered accountant by qualification. And I am the founder and chief disruptor of Advisor. And people are like, what does chief disruptor even mean? Like this is it's this weird concept. <laughs> like I don't I don't hear it very often, you know. But for me, it's really about figuring out ways to disrupt the industry and and coming up with new ways to do things that are I guess, different from what has happened in the past and thinking outside of the box. I think one of the things that I've really noticed is it's easy for us to get trapped in a certain way of, of thinking or certain way of doing things. So I'm all about productivity and profitability, and we'll dig into that a little bit more as we go. But I think especially in businesses, we need to, when we run our own business, we need to think of how we are going to be productive because the way that we spend our time has a direct correlation on how profitable we are at the end of the day. So I really think that we need to find new ways of doing things because that is the way that we are going to make giant moves towards success in our businesses. Advisor is all about unlocking potential in an advisory capacity. Hence the, the U and the P is for unlocking potential and then it's in an advisory capacity. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about not necessarily being an employee, I guess, but coming in it from a consulting point of view. And the whole reason why I started Advisor was because I felt like there was this massive gap as we step out of university and stepping into the workplace, there's like this lack of expectation or there's this expectation gap, not really understanding from an employee's perspective, what is expected of me, how should I be acting or behaving? And from an employer's perspective, sort of seeing we're really scared about sending these new graduates out into the workplace because we don't know what's going to come out of their mouths. We don't know what they're going to say to our clients, what's going to be in their emails. And for me, that's something that's an indication of, I guess, a lack of a fundamental concept within our educational system. And that is to prepare our students to be able to step out into the workplace. Maybe we're really well skilled on a technical level, but the soft skills are definitely lacking. So that was really where Advisor started. And, and I really have a passion for the next generation. I think we have a responsibility to raise up the next generation of youth to be employable, well-skilled and excellent at what they do and being able to connect in with a meaning and purpose in their lives. Because I think we all have a meaning or we believe that we have meaning to our lives. And there definitely is a purpose for each of us to be here. But because we are just like fitting into that little mold of being an employee, often we don't connect in with that. So 
I would love to be able to equip people to figure out what it is that is actually their purpose and be able to live that out. Because if we're able to live out our purpose, if every person is able to live out our purpose, I think the world would be a happier place and a more successful and efficient place because we're all doing what we love doing. And normally purpose is where your passion and skills collide, right? So if we're able to do the things we love and do them really well, then that just makes it a fantastic ecosystem to be a part of. So that is where Upfaza started. Now, I downloaded your company profile to prep these questions. And your company profile is like super insane, man. Like, I think I'm paying for <laughs> lists. What I would imagine to be your primary offering of training, consulting, and mentoring. But then it's like goes on. I, I can't even remember how many pages it is. It's about 20 pages long. And it breaks down into the smaller parts like you do productivity and profitability. Mm-hmm. And you've got something called Upvisor Academy, which then focuses on instilling the soft skills uh, that you've mentioned now for varsity leavers. Mm-hmm. You also have your own podcast you uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have two different <laughs> video series that you create so uh, I think the one is yep. to do with productivity and the other one is for finance Fridays this is obviously all in addition to creating the content and uh, sharing it on all your various different platforms which you seem to be on like mm-hmm. every single platform and then, <laughs> and then, we try <laughs> keeping your own personal development on track as well as obviously doing all your research for creating all this content. So speaking as a small business owner to another small business owner, how do you manage? Like, I know that you mentioned when we were chatting before that you kind of outsource a lot of your, well, certain tasks and that kind of thing, but, yeah. uh, and you are considering bringing these in-house, but as the business owner, you're still, you have to be super involved in mm-hmm. the creation of all this content. So where the hell do you find the time? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so let's maybe just start off with, with with the statement where they say that every single person has the same 24 hours in their day. What Richard Branson does with his 24 hours and what Bill Gates does with his 24 hours and, and what we do with our 24 hours, you know, I think there's just a potential for so much more than what we can actually imagine. So maybe just to like put that out there as a starting point. <laughs> But um, I have realized that balls will be dropped, especially if you're doing everything on your own. So I've had to realize that I needed to decide which ones I'm okay with dropping and which ones I'm not okay with dropping. So it is about prioritizing um, and figuring out which are the right ones to, to focus on at a specific period of time. I've also realized that Life is about seasons. And I know we talk about this, this concept of work-life balance and we'll, we'll get more into that as we go as well. But in life, sometimes we need to focus on, on business and sometimes we need to focus on family and sometimes we need to focus on our development. And, you know, so it, it really is about what stage you are in at a specific point in time. So for me right now, my business is my priority because I'm within the first five years of getting this business up and running. So I know I'm going to have to invest a significant amount of time (laughs) to make this happen. (laughs) But that being said, team is really, really important. I've had a little bit of a rough ride trying to get the right people on board the last number of years as I've been trying to grow the business. Like I've I've been through a lot of people that have helped me over a period of time Um, and it hasn't worked out partly because of what roles they have fulfilled and like what sort of time constraints they've had, but also from a financial perspective, obviously needing to consider all of those things. But I think if you are able to be in a position where you're able to get the right people on board to make the business a success, then um, that makes a really, really big difference. I'm really loving the people that I'm working with at the moment from a, an outsourcing perspective. The, the gentleman that I'm working with at the moment he does my social media, my video editing, my podcast editing. He can do my website. Like, he's like a jack of all trades and he does really well at all of them. I've really been enjoying working with him. So it's with a heavy heart that I'm looking at potentially insourcing some of those things. So so team is really important. But I've also realized that I work well under pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> the more pressure, the better I work. <laughs> so if I know that I need to get my content calendar ready by a certain point in time, then I will arrange things to be able to make those things happen. It's the same for my my training sessions that I've had. I know that I need to make sure I've got my preparation in, in place. I've got my slides and my worksheets, all of those things developed in time for my training sessions. So 
I will make sure that I put time aside for those things. I recently got involved with another entity as their COO and group CFO. And even though the entity is really interesting and they're very much in startup phase, looking to grow, they've got big plans. It has meant that it's taken time away from focusing on advisor stuff. So again, it's about seasons. It's like where I'm wanting to focus at this point in time. What is most important to me? And what is the theme almost going to be for this period? You know, and, and the theme could be from, from a day or for the week or for the month or even for the quarter um, and figuring out what are the most important things at that point in time. So I guess bottom line is it comes down to prioritizing and figuring out where you want to focus at a given point in time. But you were asking about personal development as well. So I'll maybe just mention during lockdown, <laughs> uh, I, I got into, uh, I overcommitted myself a little bit, but that happens. And I, I got involved with Action Coach. So every second Monday, we have a two and a half hour Action Coach session where they're taking us through a curriculum for, for 10 months. That is a lot of work. There's a lot of homework that has to go in there. I'm so behind with my homework. <laughs> but anyway, and then I also got involved with the Nelson Mandela Bay Business Chamber Enterprise Development Program, which has also taken up a lot of time. But the input has been great. We've basically had two two-hour sessions per week for the last three months, at least two sessions, sometimes more. Yeah. Um, so it's been a lot of time that I've been spending on personal and business development. Again, it's about what is what is the opposite of that? You know, if I'm working on my business development, it means that I'm not working on revenue generating activities. So it's about weighing those up and figuring out what is most important yeah. at that point in time. How have you managed to find the balance? Because obviously uh, everything has its own kind of unique individual requirements to keep it going, like you've, like you've mentioned. So are you able to avoid one specific activity? Or like you say, I suppose it's seasons that you kind of work on something and then you realize that it's out of whack and you have to focus on something else. For a <laughs> How are you able to yeah. keep everything going? <laughs> And, you know, in terms of mm. your marketing as well, like how do you manage to keep everything sustainable and fresh at the same time? It has been tough. Eh? It really is hard to make sure that you're maintaining a balance. But as I said, it's not always about the balance. It is about the season, as you have correctly stated. And I find that I sometimes focus on the things that I really love doing. For example, the training, like I'm really passionate about that, but it's not always the most lucrative option to go for, <laughs> which obviously means that there are some downstream implications, right? Like I can find that I can so easily get caught up in preparing for training and marketing the training where actually that time would have been better spent marketing some consulting services potentially, or, you know, finding new clients for that. So yeah. it is really about figuring out what, what is the most important things. And I have to remind myself to keep focusing on what those most important things are so I can look at that. But I fundamentally believe that we should be focusing on the things that we are good at and outsourcing the rest or get rid of the rest. That's also fine. You know? <laughs> Find a way. I don't know if you've heard of um, Michael Hyatt's concept of the freedom compass. He, oh. he basically expands on this idea about focusing on the things like where I mentioned previously, where your purpose is, where your passion and your skills collide. He's got this, this idea of the circle where he looks at how well-skilled are you at it and how passionate are you about it. So for example, social media is something where I am really not passionate about it and I don't necessarily consider myself very good at it. So that would fall squarely into my drudgery zone, which is literally, I hate doing this. I will throw money at it to make it go away. <laughs> Um, and then he like goes around this compass and he looks at like, where are you well skilled, but maybe not so passionate about it. And, you know, the inverse of that. And, and the desire zone is really where you're wanting to be. So the things that you are both good at and that you love doing. So the more that we can focus on being in our desire zone, as opposed to the drudgery zone or some of those other zones, the better for us. All of those other zones where you are either not, not skilled at it or maybe not that passionate about it, find someone else to come alongside you to make sure that you're doing those things. It's interesting that you say no. passion because it kind of comes up mm -hmm. quite regularly about how we should all be following our passion and that kind of thing. And one of my guests kind of said, that is probably the worst thing that you can do because uh, you shouldn't follow your passion. You should uh, you should find passion in something that creates value. So, I mean, it's all semantics mm. at the end of the day, but yeah. what you're passionate about, you might not necessarily have the necessary skills to create mm -hmm. money from that passion. So where do you kind of find the balance? What would you advise somebody 
who is not sure what they should be doing or how to get how to conjure up a passion for what it is that they're good at because if passion and skills at that meeting point is where they need to be where do they find that point definitely i think look it's it's hard hey I had to spend a lot of time in self-reflection trying to figure out what is my why, you know, um, Simon Sinek's concept of the golden circle, starting with why. And I mean, there are definitely exercises that one can do to be able to figure out where that would lie. I think one of the starting points are normally to say, what are you skilled at? And then from there, you figure out, okay, cool. If that is what I'm skilled at, how do I leverage that to get to a point where I can figure out what I'm passionate about? And unfortunately, as you've said, sometimes we're passionate about things that maybe we're not that skilled at. So it's a question of, do I upskill myself to get to the point where I get to that desire zone? Or is it about finding a different way to execute that passion? So for example, I am passionate about training. Now, if I was skilled in social media, then maybe I would be training in social media and not in finance, you know? So I've taken my skill along with my passion and I've found a way to mold them together and to leverage them in a way that I can be sitting in my desire zone where I am skilled and I am passionate about it. It's a little bit of that. And it's a little bit of saying, okay, cool. I've got a passion to do this, but maybe it's not a case of me necessarily doing it. Maybe there's almost a way to live vicariously through someone else in this. So maybe it could be to say, okay, I'm passionate about law, but I'm really good at writing content. So maybe it's about niching your service delivery down to say, I am going to specialize in doing social media or content delivery for lawyers or for legal firms, you know, then you you really are bringing those two together. So don't automatically think, and I think this is where people sometimes fall in the trap where they say, I have to do what I'm passionate about. So they, they think very much in that box that I mentioned earlier, okay, I like law. So automatically that means I need to be a lawyer, but no, there are different ways of servicing the legal industry where you can still get involved with it without necessarily being a lawyer. So I think that for me has been an interesting way of looking at it. I can understand where some people might say, don't just chase after your passion, because as you have said, you need to create value. Totally agree with it. I might not be able to create value as a lawyer because I don't like doing it. But if there are ways for me to deliver financial services to the legal industry, then yeah, then awesome. I am I'm making those things align. No, there seems to be a lot of pressure all the way from high school. You kind of have this, you have to choose a career and all that. And I mean, yeah. at, at the end of the day, you're still a kid by the time, even when you when you leave yeah. varsity, you know, you are your early 20s. Mm-hmm. You, you still haven't had enough life experience to actually figure out what it is that you really want to do. And there's yeah. very few people that I know that really know, like from that they open their eyes I want to be a pilot or I want to be XYZ Mm -hmm. and they follow through and that's exactly what they end up being and they're happy with that I mean people develop and change and and so on so there seems to be a lot of pressure to find your passion uh, or that point where passion and skill meet really early Mm -hmm. on and speaking for myself I mean I'm almost 40 I've only just recently started my own business and there's uh, you know I had to go through the whole corporate world and I've done everything from sales to marketing to product management, and now I'm in the creative space. So how would you recommend, especially if there's slightly younger people listening, how would you recommend Mm -hmm. they go about finding their niche, but not having that kind of pressure? Because there's pressure always Mm -hmm. to to kind of find your niche, and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So um, what kind of advice would you have for for somebody sitting in that Mm. pool of people right now? So let me me tell you a story. Seeing as you like stories, I'll tell you a story. (laughs) (laughs) When I was little, I really wanted to be a vet. I was super passionate about working with animals. We grew up with like, I don't know, at one stage we had 13 cats, including kittens and, you know, two dogs and rabbits, not rabbits. Um, I had a hamster and, you know, fish and birds. Anyway, so really loved animals. I was like, cool. This is like such a good setup for me to become a vet. Until grade 10, standard eight, when, you know, you have to now decide on your subjects and you go shadow some people and figure out what you actually want to do. So I went and shadowed a bit and I almost fainted. (laughs) They they were doing a gallbladder removal for a cat. And now, yo, I can still remember that woozy feeling in my stomach and like the, the whole room just like spinning and I had to sit down. They had to remove me from the room. I was like, okay, clearly I am not cut out to be a vet because I'll have to operate on the animals firstly and I'll have to put them down and I, I was not willing to put an animal down. Yeah. 
So that for me really started this journey of, okay, cool. If I'm not going to be the thing that I had believed that I wanted to be for like 11 years, you know, (laughs) what are my alternatives? So I went down this road where I was like, okay, so, so what, what do I want to do? Okay. So I don't want to be a vet. I don't want to operate on animals, but maybe, maybe I'll go the route of operating on people. So I was considering medicine and I, I had some interviews with people. I was like, you know, it's, it's a lot of studying and it's a long time before you start earning an income. It's a lot of hours. And, and so, okay, but I'm really good at mass- massaging people. And I've had a lot of good compliments about massaging people. So maybe I'll do physiotherapy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I went and I did a job shadowing for physiotherapy and it was quite cool and really interesting. And they were telling me about how they deal with TB patients, you know, and they have to like hit the phlegm out. And I was like, okay, this is a little bit gross, but you know, I can handle it until they did acupuncture. And so they were doing it in a lady. She was lying on her stomach and they put the needles into her scapula, like the, the yeah. muscle running alongside your, your shoulder blade. And basically the needles were lying flat against her back. And while I was watching, these her muscles contracted or it spasmed and the needles pulled like away from her skin completely in the opposite direction and it lay back down again. I was like, I'm out of here so fast. <laughs> I was like, I cannot deal with needles. <laughs> I'm not going to do physiotherapy. Uh, but then they told me that acupuncture was an elective. You don't have to do that. So I was like, okay, well, may- maybe maybe I can do that. But let's just make sure that this is actually the route I want to go. And, and I was really playing with this idea of being a physiotherapist. But my mom was like, you're clever enough. You may as well just become a doctor. Like if you want to do physiotherapy, you may as well do medicine. I was like, but I don't want to study for such a long time. I know I am going to go do accounting completely outside of the scope of what I was looking at. Um, But my my maths marks were good. My accounting marks were good. I was always top of the class. And so I had some discussions with a few people and I was like, okay, cool. Let's go do accounting. And I got a job offer from, from PwC based on my matric results. Like they didn't even wait for like any of my further results to come out. And I basically (laughs) signed a contract with them really early. Um, And for me, that was just a way that God had opened that door for me to go down the road of, of accounting. Like he really affirmed that that was the direction that I needed to go. And I still believe if I didn't study accounting, I probably would never have met my husband. And even if that was the only reason why I studied accounting, it's still fine. <laughs> but but I studied it as a chartered accountant, not because I wanted to be an auditor, because I really don't, but because of the options that it has created for me. You know, it, it's always been a stepping stone for me to be able to figure out what I want to do next. And one of the reasons why I'm also really grateful that I did my articles in Port Elizabeth at PwC is because you sort of have that small town vibe to a certain degree because you have exposure to an enormously wide range of clients. I had people in education, I had financial services, I had manufacturing, I had automotive, I had hospitality. Yeah, I had like so many things. I had a bank. It was really cool. Um, And I know that I would not have had that experience if I had gone to Joburg, for example, where you have to specialize from your first year. You have to decide, do you want to be in financial services or manufacturing or whatever? And I think the lesson that I learned from there is you need to generalize before you specialize. And for me, it was about opening up this world of opportunities that is wide enough for me to be able to get exposure to a lot of things until I get to the point where I figure out what I'm actually passionate about. So Megan, even with your experience, like it's been a broad range of experiences. And if you had not gone through all of those, you wouldn't have arrived at the conclusion that you're passionate about creating content um, or about writing, you know, so don't discount the experiences that you're going to have. And I think to answer your question (laughs) for our younger listeners, (laughs) like don't, don't be afraid of maybe making mistakes or going down a road that you're not super passionate about. It's, It's about really setting yourself up to get to the point where you're able to have such a broad base that you can launch yourself off of to get to the point where you can then specialize in the thing that you are really good at and are really passionate about. I just find even though I'm in a creative space now, I am able to pull so much knowledge from what I've done before. Absolutely. And, you know, I always thought being a generalist, it was very much a drawback in my early life because, like Mm. I said, I wanted to be a lawyer, then I wanted to be an astronomer, then I wanted to be a game (laughs) ranger. And it was like all these not connected things. But each avenue you go down, you accrue this knowledge that, like, it it does help now in that I can write for a multitude of different industries. Like, I haven't niched myself in 
legal or tech or mm. tourism I, I can write for basically anything Absolutely. and I always I always thought that I was the only person who kind of felt this way but I don't know if you've seen this book uh, Range by David Epstein no not familiar with it I but I'll have highly, to check it out I highly highly recommend this book it's basically how generalists triumph in a specialized world I'd love to chat a little bit about productivity because based on everything you've mentioned up until now you clearly practice what you preach so could you maybe walk us through a day in the life of Christine just to kind of give us an idea of sure okay Cool. Let, let me see what I can do. Um, so <laughs> maybe just to say, like, I really love productivity hacks and the hashtag productivity sessions that I do on a Thursday have been really interesting for me, partly because I'm really speaking out of my own experience. So the information that I share is because it's things that I've implemented that I've seen have really helped. And I'm really enjoying the research that I do. I almost always end up with having a tool or trick that comes out of my research. And I'm like, oh man, I really want to try that and see how it works. <laughs> so it's been really, really interesting. Um, but so let's talk about my day. What I'm going to describe now is for the days when I do actually have a good, solid, productive day, when everything goes the way it's planned, because very often that does not happen. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> so we'll start off with some early morning exercise. And by early morning, I mean, probably sometime before 6am, because I've realized that if I don't do it in the mornings, as much as I try and avoid it, it just doesn't get done. You know, so if I say, okay, cool, I'm going to go for a run this evening at 5pm, it inevitably does not end up working out. So I know if I want to get my exercise in, it has to be first thing. And I normally do that with some sort of podcast or sermon happening in my ears, because that for me is a good way to make sure that I am fully engaging in what could potentially be seen as unproductive time, <laughs> turning that into productive time. So I actually did a podcast about that two or three weeks ago about the traffic university, which is one of the context, concepts by the 5am club. So We'll circle back to 5am club. Okay, then it's time for a shower, maybe having some breakfast. And then for me, it's really important that before I start my day, I have some quiet time, which includes journaling, planning for the day, um, making sure that I've got some sort of idea of what my goals for the month and for the week are, um, and figuring out what really are the most important tasks to be focusing for that day. I will then review my calendar and try and avoid my emails as much as possible, probably until this point. So <laughs> I really want to make sure I've like planned out the priorities for myself before I get to the point where I let other people impose their priorities on my agenda. Obviously, that's not always possible, but hey, we try. <laughs> Um, and then it's normally about getting stuck into some of those big looming tasks. You might have heard of the concept about eating the frog. Yeah. So <laughs> I try and focus on some, some client work in the mornings and then really try and do my meetings in the afternoons, which is when I'm probably a little bit less productive. So I really try and make sure that I'm blocking out those, those mornings for the, the things that I need to focus on in my business. And then I really try and avoid my emails because I know based on the days when I do actually do this, I do my best work when I'm not in my inbox all the time. So that actually physically means switching off your inbox, like not having Outlook open or, you know, closing your Gmail browser box or whatever you are, you have, yeah, yeah. Um, like actually switch everything off. Switching off WhatsApp to some degree is also really helpful. And I work best with a well thought out to-do list. So I know I have to go from this task to that task. You know, if, I, if I've sort of ordered it at the beginning of the day, I can literally just Think of like a sausage machine where you just like churn out tasks. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the same thing, right? If I've only made a list of like random things and I've got some big things and small, small things in between, then I'm not actually that productive. So I really have to structure it a little bit. And there always needs to be a bit of pressure for me to really perform, as I've said <laughs> earlier. Um, so if I know I'm pushing for a deadline, I will make it happen. I normally forget to eat lunch until about like 2 or 3 p.m. Uh, because I'm normally stuck in meetings. And sometimes I end up not having any lunch at all, cool. in which case I, I tend to not eat very very healthily at supper, which is not such a good thing. <laughs> and then my day normally closes out Basically, whenever my husband lets me know that he's heading home, which could be anywhere between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., sometimes later, which is not such a good thing. And, and that might actually be one of my focus areas for 2021 is to work on a good, solid shutdown routine so that I know, cool, I've closed off my day at a certain point in time and it's OK. The tasks yeah. that I've gone undone can be done tomorrow yeah. um, because 
especially during lockdown, that was one thing that I found. We were literally working from 6 a.m. in the morning until 11 p.m. at night. And, it, you know, it's it's not sustainable at all. And maybe just to finally add there, I do normally end up having a different theme for most days of the week. For example, um, on Monday afternoons, I focus on business development, which is where my coaching sessions would be. Uh, Wednesdays, I would be doing my training preparation or actually delivering training or marketing the training. On Tuesdays, I do a little bit more marketing where I've got my tune in Tuesdays or I'm prepping for my hashtag productivity on a Thursday or my hashtag finance Friday sessions. Um, so I normally try and make sure those things are done. So this is also partly due to deadline requirements. So for example, my hashtag finance Friday has to be done on a Tuesday so that my video editor can have it ready for Friday, you know? Yeah. So, so those sort of things also drive the, the types of activities that I do on my days. But I definitely find that if I have a theme for each of the days, it makes it much easier to actually get to everything. Now you've mentioned the 5 a.m. club. And this is another topic mm-hmm. that's kind of come up with several different guests on my podcast. And some of them are like, you have to get up at five because, you know, if you get up at five, you've got that whole hour before everyone else gets up. And over the course of, I don't know, a year, you get an extra month time and all that kind of thing. Right. For most of my career, I used to be at work in the office, in the corporate setting by half past six. So I would get up mm-hmm. at kind of that time. Since yeah. starting my own business. <laughs> that's kind of gone out the window and my mm-hmm. routine has shifted completely mm-hmm. so I'm working within my own routine which tends to drive my productivity but it definitely does not start yeah. at 5 a.m so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so where do you fall in terms of you know driving that 5 a.m club versus yeah. your own natural rhythm <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so so I tend to agree with you there. I am definitely not a morning person. I know there are certain chronograms that's like determined based on which time of day you're most energetic and all of those things. I am not the lock that gets up early in the morning and flourishes in the morning. My husband is, which makes it really hard sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, so I do not get up at 5 a.m. even though I sometimes believe I should, and I I definitely would say that I have found that I'm more productive if I do get up earlier, because sometimes with my morning routines, I end up running. So even though I'm in front of my laptop before 7 a.m., for example, because of the the, the quiet time, the journaling, the planning for the day, all of those things, I sometimes only end up starting my day a little bit later than I would have expected or would have wanted to, Um, in which case I'm like, oh, man, but if I had gotten up at 5 a.m., you know, I would have been able to start on time. So there's sometimes a little bit of a guilt trip that I do for myself. <laughs> but that being said, I do subscribe to a lot of the concepts of the 5am club. So a lot of the practices that they'll mention, like the traffic university or, you know, getting your exercise, all of those things. Those are things that I incorporate as part of my day. Maybe not as part of that first hour that they've indicated, you know, your 20 minute split blocks and all of those things. But I think their concepts are good. So I do try and make sure that I incorporate those. And I have found that sometimes there were some of the the routines that I had implemented even before I read their book. So for me, that's an indication that some of those concepts are universally accepted and it's just the way that they have structured it, um, which may be like... I guess that's what makes them the 5am club, right? The way that they have structured it and that's their, their IP. Yeah. But I think it's about figuring out what, what your rhythm is. I mean, exactly like what you said, Megan. It's about figuring out what works for you because it's not going to be the same for, for everyone. And one of the benefits of running your own business is that you can go for a 21k run if you wanted to do in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's completely up to you how you want to structure your day. And that's where the flexibility comes in. But that's also where the self-discipline comes in. Yeah. You have to yeah. figure out what, what are the things that you need to do. So. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I must be honest, having your own business, not for everyone. And no. I, I luckily have got the self-discipline. I can go for a, well, I don't run, but <laughs> I'll do other stuff during the day. But then, you know, you know, this weekend you're going to have to catch up or you're going to be working mm. until 10 o'clock tonight because if you want the freedom of messing around at midday when other people are working, you're going to be working exactly. when other people are messing around. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, besides the 5am club, are there any hacks that you have found that have mm. universal application? So maybe you could share a couple of those and the listeners can decide if they are universal enough to apply to their own lives. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. So I'll, I'll just share one because I think this is really an important one. And it, it cycles back to what I mentioned previously about living in your inbox. I think it's really important to not live in your inbox because firstly, it's 
a severe distraction. And if you look at the stats, they say every time you get interrupted, you know, you take basically 45 minutes to get back to that same level of focus. So the amount of time that we spend being distracted and being interrupted by pings and notifications and all of those things is just ridiculous. That is definitely something that I think we need to get out of. So that, that's the, the first component. The second component would be um, in terms of letting other people set your agenda. I think we need to take control of our own time. And if you think about the whole reason why email was invented in the first place, it was to allow you to answer at your leisure, <laughs> not to answer instantaneously, you know. Um, and I think it definitely has become a method of emergency communication to some extent. And, you know, there is a certain expectation to respond within a certain amount of time like I try uh, I've been really bad at it the last little while but I try and have like a 24 hour reply or response time you know to all yeah, my emails yeah. it doesn't always happen but I think that's a good rule of thumb to have depending on what business you're in but it's definitely not a as soon as I get your email I'm going to be responding to you no for if you have something urgent phone me don't email me so I think <laughs> that is really important and I think it's about the I guess the email etiquette that goes along with it right to what extent are you creating that expectation that you are going to be 100% responsive all of the time as soon as the email comes in because yeah. you're just like knocking your own nails into your own coffin so <laughs> try to avoid that as much as possible but there's there's this one technique which I found during lockdown which really cool to check out and the people that I have introduced this concept to swear by it so obviously it's really good so it's called the stacking method basically the concept is you depending on how you schedule your day maybe at the beginning of the day and the end of your day you actually filter through your inbox and you have certain rules that you set up that say for example these are the the emails that I need to reply to, these are the ones that I need to schedule meetings for, these are the ones that I actually need to, I don't know, make work out of, for example, or these are the ones that I've just been seated in that I need to review. But I like this idea of creating these little folders and moving all of your emails into those folders because the justification for this is to say, if you're able to focus on one specific task, I know they've already been grouped. It's not a case of saying this email I need to reply to, I'll quickly reply to it. Then my next email now I need to schedule. Then my next one I need to review. You know, you, you're sort of grouping the like tasks together. And what they then also suggest is for those tasks that will take more than five minutes is you actually schedule it and put it onto your calendar. So over and above just having this filing time at the beginning and the end of the day, potentially, you put in specific time when you go to work your inbox, which is when you actually work through those folders. And I really think that this concept is useful and it's something that we can implement to greater or lesser degrees in, in every person's inbox because it does make inbox zero much more attainable. And sometimes it means you have to declare email bankruptcy and just like say, cool, everything goes into archive. And <laughs> if it was really urgent and important, they will reach out again. And you just start from that point. You know, sometimes that's also okay. I sometimes have to do that with my Gmail. I'm just like, delete everything. <laughs> right. We used to joke um, um, when I was working corporate, like um, just shift delete everything. And if it was important, they'll follow up. <laughs> exactly. We, we never really, we used to talk about it all the time, but we never really got around to doing it like actually doing we're, it yeah. we're employed and if i ever have employees they must try and do that they will see <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why i prefer the concept of just archiving it because you know it's still there you can still find it but you know it's not in your view which is great but yeah so the stacking method i have found really really is is very useful um, and it just clears up your your mind so much because you've got this inbox zero concept which is yeah, quite cool. Yeah. I suck at emails I don't file them and like I use <laughs> my deleted items as like a general file and whatever but no <laughs> <laughs> but um, one thing that I did it was quite a good productivity tip that I found uh, until I got lazy and didn't do it anymore was uh, scheduling my email sends so I would deal with my email emails awesome, yeah. in the morning schedule all my morning emails to go out at 10 so mm -hmm. all my respondents got the emails at 10 a.m and then i would do the same thing and send out at four so you don't have oh, emails consistently going in and out the entire day like, oh that's that's lock, good lockdown kind of put pay to that because nothing much is going on so i'll reply now and i just haven't been able oh, to right. yeah that makes a problem <laughs> If you do the email stacking with the, the scheduled outbox responses, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely a, a productivity hack. Definitely, I like it. <laughs>
during our pre-recording chat, you mentioned that one of your missions is to, um, and again, please forgive the paraphrasing, but to create a generation oh. of entrepreneurs who are both sustainable and paying it forward. I'd love to know mm -hmm. how you're actually going about achieving this, because that's quite a tall order. First of all, not everyone's cut out to be in the entrepreneurship base. Those that are, yeah. are not necessarily doing it in a sustainable way. And then to find the time as well to pay it forward to other people that are going through the same thing. How are you tackling? That's, that's a big mountain. Like, how are you, how are you climbing? Mm. I guess it comes back to the, the three main focuses of my business. And I, I think... It's taken me a while to get to the point where I'm able to concisely state what I do, but really in three categories, we've got the equipping, which is where we get the training and the two legs of the training would both be addressing profitability, which is our unlocking your inner CFO training academy, as well as the personal finances. Um, and then the productivity side would be the Excel training. The personal finance and the unlocking your inner CFO is really meant for the business owner. Personal finance can also be for the employees because uh, a happy employee is someone that understands that their personal finances are not in shambles. Um, <laughs> um, and then the productivity is, I found, is more for the workforce, maybe rather than for the business owner, depending on how many people they are, they are actually employing. But so that's about creating a, a productive workforce. And also, if you look at all of the things that I'm doing around the hashtag productivity sessions, for me, productivity and profitability are intrinsically linked. So if you understand what's happening with your time and how you're spending your time and you're able to communicate that downstream to your employees, it's automatically going to mean that you have a more productive workforce, which means that you have a more profitable workforce. So that's the, the equipping side. And the second part is the execute, which is where we execute on behalf of the business owner. There, it really is about how do we free up the business owner to focus on the things that matter most which is strategy and operations. Yes, finances matter a lot, uh, oh. but it's something that you can easily outsource. You know, So it's about saying, how do we make sure that you are focusing on the things that, that your business really needs you for? Right? And so in that way, we're able to make them more productive. And through our financial strategic consulting, for example, that is a way that we help them to be more profitable. So whether it's through analysis of their financial statements or whether it's through business coaching, whatever, whatever the case might be, we look at what it is that they need to get to that next level in their business. Some of the things that we also do from a productivity point of view would be to say, cool, let's have a look at your processes. Do you have the right people in the right position? Uh, let's look at some of those Excel spreadsheets, which are super inefficient, or, or what we have sometimes found as well is those Excel spreadsheets form the fundamental core of the business but then there are a few formula errors somewhere along the line <laughs> which significantly affects the output that comes yeah, from that yeah. you know and that affects the types of decisions that you make within your business so really looking at making sure that you've got all of those things in place helps the business to become more productive and profitable so then the question is how do we how do we help them to pay it forward well two ways so the one way is to say cool as advisor we are committing a certain percentage of our financial management revenue that's coming through to invest into our student academy, which is where we get to enhance, right? Yeah. Where we enhance the lives of the next generation. So we put some of that money aside into the academy, but then also saying, okay, business owner, are you able to put a certain amount aside on a monthly basis to sponsor a graduate, to put them through this process, you know? And so that's, that's one way to do it. There's another way to say, cool, we will open up our business to allow some of the students to come do some job shadowing or even do some entrepreneurship exchange programs. So there really are a lot of different ways that we can pay it forward as business owners. And it doesn't always necessarily have to have a financial impact. You know, it, it could just be your time. It could be just giving them access to some of the, the resources or tools that you have, or maybe even just opening up your network to them to be able to talk to the right people. And if you want to get involved in mentoring some students, then, you know, everyone is welcome. It's really, I think it has to be a communal effort, if I can put it that, that way, yeah, which is yeah. why as part of our vision, we say we want to create a community of business owners that are, are profitable and sustainable and can pay it forward, you know. How it's going to look is going to be different for every business. Yeah, but yeah. don't automatically think that it has to be financial contributions. That's fantastic. And I think that there's not enough of that in the, the entrepreneurship space because I have no entrepreneurship skills, but I've got corporate experience that at least kind of informs my decisions because I know I've worked yes. in companies that have worked, well, <laughs> kind of worked until lockdown. <laughs> so right. I, I, I have kind of had experience, but if you're looking at new people coming up from varsity 
level. There's mm. there's nowhere for them to turn really to unless you study an yeah. entrepreneurship degree. But I don't know how necessary it is if you can get the information from people who've been through it all before. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and I would definitely say entrepreneurship is very much an experiential process. There we go. That's probably the right word. Yeah. So whether it's through you learning by experience or whether it's you learning through someone else's experience, it's always going to be more beneficial to go that approach than to have a theoretical approach to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I always say like even as part of my chartered accountancy qualification, I didn't learn how to run a business from like in that sense of the word, you know, I, I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. If if anything, we have been trained not to be entrepreneurs because we are super risk averse. So <laughs> it, it, it is about learning from other people. So I think the more that we are able to be in a position where we can share some of our our learning experiences with um, with the next generation, the better. Now, kind of building on from that, currently within the micro enterprise and the solar entrepreneur space, uh, there is a trend to create some sort of learning tool, online training, and your business is no different. I mean, you've got your training section set up and it's one of your primary offerings. Yeah. And once that's all set up, the idea is that it creates a passive income stream, which is obviously ideal for us for any business, but especially for a micro business mm -hmm. that is doing everything themselves and doesn't necessarily have the resources to sell their time, um, as we were talking yeah. about uh, previously. So this market is somewhat flooded, though, because um, every micro enterprise and solopreneur has tried to start something. And then you're also yes. you're also competing with platforms like Udemy and um, all the other kind of free online mm -hmm. platforms. Well, not necessarily free. I mean, obviously, if you're trying to create a passive income, you you are wanting people to pay for it. But you, you've got yeah. the, the entire internet. And quite mm -hmm. frankly, if you are motivated enough, you don't even have to go through a paid channel. You can probably find this information for free yeah. online. So yeah. there's a ton of training available online. What pointers can you give mm -hmm. to someone looking at creating some sort of online tool in such a crowded space? Like where did where do you even start? So I totally, totally agree. It is super crowded, especially during lockdown. I found there was just like this wave of people that never used to do training that now all of a sudden does like mountains of webinars and yeah, it's just yeah. like too much content. And I think that's part of the problem. Like we've been so overloaded by content that to be able to bring something to the market at this stage Yes, the market is saturated, but actually your market is really tired as well. <laughs> they oh, don't actually yeah. want any online learning. <laughs> so I definitely think that that is a significant, significant problem. Now, some of these people have obviously been able to launch it with some success, others with massive success and others with no success. Yeah. But I, I would definitely say that the bottom line is that you need to find a way to create something different. Now, it could be just that it's different because it's talking to your market very specifically and your market wants something. Remember, people don't buy a product or a service necessarily. They, they buy the person behind it. So I know, for example, my, my following or the people that have been part of my training academy, they're loyal to me. They're not necessarily loyal to the product that I deliver. I think that's really important for us to think about. Like, who is this audience that you're really serving? And what is their need specifically? Like, how can you niche down to exactly what they want? I think we, we so often try to create a service or we, we try and create a training product because we want to and, and because we want the extra income or we want the passive income. And it's not necessarily to say that the market needs this or the market wants this. So it is about figuring out how to really talk to your audience very clearly. It's about putting it at a price point that they can afford, which doesn't necessarily have to be free, okay? <laughs> but it has to be affordable to them and not, again, it's not just because you want them to make the profit. And I think for me, this comes down to really understanding why you are doing it. And if you think about Simon Sinek, he, he talks about the fact that for us to generate income or to generate a profit out of a business, that is often the reason people give for them existing. But actually, it's about so much more than that. It's what what is that money enabling you to do, right? Because it's that profit is making it possible for you to do something else. So I want you to figure out what is it that is driving this decision to get to the point of wanting to generate some sort of passive income. So if I think about my student academy, I'm, I'm wanting to grow my consulting services so that I can put money aside to put into my student academy. Like that is the reason why I'm doing that. 
So figure out what is that why that's driving you to get to the point where you are wanting to create this this extra passive income. And um, I think be careful of the idea of it being passive income because yes, maybe it will, as you said, you need to set it up and it will get to the point where maybe it drives itself. But it really is a lot of work to get to the point where it becomes passive income. You know, it's about understanding who your market is. It's about figuring out what sort of content they want. It's about delivering or creating the content, then delivering the content, then it's about marketing it. And then it's about, you know, figuring out what the right platforms are. And, you know, it's this massive long process. And if you think that it's just going to be about content creation and then you're done, it's never going to get to a point where it's passive income. I've got a perfect story for this. I've got my personal finance course, which I created in 2018, but it's really just a lazy asset because I haven't been driving it. I've I've been mentioning it to people, but because I haven't packaged it necessarily in a way that the market wants it or can consume it, it's actually just sitting there and it's not doing anything. So try and avoid those sort of things. You can look at, I mean, there are different techniques, right? You can look at pre-selling your course and sort of test what the what the interest is for the course before you get to the point where you're actually putting money into it to build it. And I maybe just want to mention that it's going to be a moving target and that's okay. Don't think that you're going to have the solution 100% ready from the very first minute that you deliver it, right? The whole concept of the minimal viable product, that's what you need to put out there. And and sometimes with the pre-selling, you actually develop it with your guinea pig market and, you know, you mold it as you go along, which I think is a really good way of doing it. And and just finally, I want to say, don't try to reinvent the wheel. There are lots of platforms available. Um, So like a Udemy or the whole lot of others or putting a plugin on your own website or whatever the case might be. Don't try and write your own thing in terms of a platform necessarily. Leverage what is available. Go do your research, figure out what percentage is Udemy going to take versus whoever else that you're looking at um, and figuring out what is going to be the best business decision for you. So I think that is what I've had to realize that even though I want the content as my own, for example, my personal finance course, I want it to be on my own platforms and I've been on a lot of platforms now I've, I've been on thinkific i've been on facebook i've been thinking about putting it on my own website but actually i'm just going to go the route of putting it on udemy because there would be lots more eyes that are going on that and i maybe don't have to drive the marketing as much so yeah. it is about what is the strategic decision in that these platforms exist for a reason and exactly uh, uh, you know, I, I had a client who's created a, a course and she's running it off her own website. But like you say, the, the marketing that you need to put behind that, mm. it's insane. So if you pop it on Udemy yeah. and, and target the right keywords, people will find it. You mentioned about like not creating all the content and like what I've been kind of toying with myself for my own passive income <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, is to create like a one hour training session, like a webinar and mm-hmm. seeing before I go balls to the wall and create like a whole course of 20 hours, yeah. uh, see if there's actually a, a market for what mm. I have in mind because you don't want to put all that work in, create all that content and then no one buys it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's about creating it to and for your audience, not just for your own benefit, right? Yeah. So I love that idea. I think you, you have to always just test it first before you go down that road. Awesome. That's probably a good place to leave it. Um, are you okay to finish off with the quick fire round? Yeah, sure. All right. So five quick questions. First question, sure. define success. Sure. Okay. So um, when I was thinking about this question, the, the first phrase that came up for me is, you know, how beauty is in the eye of the beer holder, not necessarily the bee holder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for me, success looks different for everyone according to the purpose that you have been called to. And it's also going to depend on the season that you're in. So for a new mom, success might be getting their baby to sleep for more than 20 minutes. Yay! <laughs> not that I'm a new mom. <laughs> um, but I think success is not necessarily materialistic. And we are so inclined to think that it is. I mean, if you think about Gandhi, Gandhi was successful. Like he was super successful, right? Because he was going after his purpose. If we think that the purpose of success is merely to make money, then we're always going to fall short and we're always going to think, oh, I just want more money, you know, make a drain. And (laughs) that doesn't necessarily work that well. Um, But it's not about that. It's about what it it enables us to do. So for me, success is driving hard after my purpose and my passion, which is to equip people in a variety of different ways to a variety of different people um, and with a variety of different skills. 
in whatever way that might look like. Uh, my conversations tend to take on themes. And at the moment, um, even though I work in kind of marketing, I'm very anti-marketing. Because <laughs> if you trace back all the ills of the world, it all comes down to marketing and how things yes. are being pushed. Yes. And, I mean, the definition of marketing is creating a need where there is none in order to sell a product. It all comes down to marketing. So um, yeah, I think absolutely. marketing has created this materialistic view of success that you have to drive a certain car and live in yeah. a certain area and that. And I, exactly. I very much agree with you. Can, can I tell a quick story on that point? Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I totally agree with what you said. I actually wrote a, a newsletter just before Black Friday. And it's it, the heading was, money is not the root of all evil. Marketing is. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I told the story of how I tried to do, you know, the whole thing of buy one, get one free especially over Black Friday. So yeah. we were using Uber Eats and we were busy ordering pizza. And we saw they have a buy one, get one free. So we're like, cool, we want to capitalize on this. So we were busy placing our order. I, I think we had like two pizzas and we were expecting to get two more pizzas or you know, at least get the one discounted or something like that. So went through to the cart, it lists our two pizzas and lo and behold, our total is given as the totals of the two pizzas. And then it lists buy one, get one free. And it says minus one rand. And we were like, what the heck is this? <laughs> I don't want to get one rand off. <laughs> I want to get a whole pizza off. <laughs> and I was like, no, like th this is what marketing does, right? It mm. creates this false expectation. Um, and it just like, this is not on. <laughs> I don't know. Look, marketing is not necessarily evil. I think that we as people have become so greedy that we've turned yes. marketing evil, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, no, we're, absolutely, after, yeah. we're after the money. and It's well, just the it's, tool at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, It's kind of like insurance. There's always a loophole <laughs> that yes. the user out of, you know, their claim. Marketing Terms and conditions apply. Oh, read the small print, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool, so question two, what do you do when you're not working on your business? Like, a, do you have time? Because quite frankly, I don't think you do right now. You're in the you're, you're in business season. So do you have time to not work in the business? What do you yeah, doing? so I mean, other than sleeping, right? I'm assuming that is your question. Other than sleeping. Um, so no, when I'm not working on my business or marking auditing papers, which was my life during 2020, I, I like to do archery over the weekends and I would love to pick up my horse riding again, which I did about two years ago, which is lots of fun. And parkour. I'm sure you're familiar with parkour, you know, obstacle courses, yeah, running yeah, up yeah. walls and, you know, uh, all yeah. of those and good now things. I know you, now I know you're still in your 20s because your knees are still good enough for you to do parkour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hey, our coach is, um, she's like in her late 40s, early 40s. Anyway, she's in her 40s. Yeah. Super strong, super fit. I'm always amazed by the stuff that she can do. Yeah. So, no, age is just a number. <laughs> Uh, question three, is there a specific resource that you continue to return to that you believe is integral to your personal development? Okay, well, so based on everything that we have said today, I think this will not come as a surprise, but I would definitely say podcasts. Um, <laughs> so some of the ones that I really enjoy listening to is the John Maxwell um, Leadership Podcast and the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. Those are really good. And then when I went down that road, I was like, oh, wait, you know what? Actually, over the last probably now 14 years, I have religiously attended the Global Leadership Summit on an annual basis. And the type of information that is shared there, the speakers that come there are just absolutely incredible. This year, I specifically did a breakaway. I went, went out of town to go watch the Global Leadership Summit seen as it was happening online. But like just every year, it's something that I so look forward to because it's just such good content, such valuable insights. Um, but it is about putting it into practice, right? It's not just about consuming the content. You actually have to put it into practice. What do they say? Um, knowledge is not power, it's potential power. It's the application Absolutely. of knowledge is power. Totally agree. If all the books in the world spontaneously combusted except for one, what would it be and why? No pressure, because so... I'm going to have to read this book, so it better be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> So just to be difficult, I'm assuming that this does not include the fact, well, um, I was just thinking, you know, you've got ebooks. So yes, all of the books could spontaneously combust, but you're always going to have devices that have all of these books in any case. That's a sneaky uh, legal loophole. Do you work for an insurance <laughs> company? 
season three supply. <laughs> but so um, other than that and other than scripture or the Bible, like I have to mention that because that's a fundamental part of, of who oh, I am yeah, yeah, sure. and because of what I believe in. But barring those, what I would probably say is the book called Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. It's an amazingly written Christian fiction story that's based on the book of Hosea. And in the book of Hosea, he was told to marry a prostitute as a symbol of the way that God loves us as people. And it's basically about how, despite us being unfaithful again and again and again, he will always lavishly pour out his love on us. And that is the love that redeems us. So I've read this book a number of times, and it's just a great reminder for me Especially in those times where, you know, when, when self-esteem is suffering or where you feel like, oh, nobody loves me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's just such a great reminder that we have been chosen um, to be loved by a great and, and mighty king. So, yeah, it has formed a lot of um, how I see myself over time. How does the book translate into people that are not necessarily Christian? Like, would somebody from a different faith be able to take the lesson and get value from the book? Because you said it is obviously based on, on Christian scripture. So yeah. would, would somebody else from a different faith be able to take learnings from the book? So I think because it is written as a novel, one can just read it for the enjoyment of a beautiful love story. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't necessarily have to link it to the, the spiritual connotation to it at all. So yeah, the, the way that Francine Rivers writes her stories are always just amazing so I've enjoyed it even just for the the value of the writing awesome one last question what sure. one what one piece of advice do you wish you had received when you started your business don't do it <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> that was the advice I received from a lot of people um, and honestly it was really unhelpful because I was like, that was what I felt like I needed to do. And I'm, I'm still getting that advice in, in a lot of cases. So if you are the person telling someone else not to do it, then please stop it. <laughs> um, I think I think that we are each entitled to see if, if this is something that will work for us and it's going to look different for every, every single person. But if I think back to when I started, there was a lot of advice that I got from a lot of different people and maybe I wasn't always open to hearing it. I think the one piece of advice that I wish I had at an earlier stage that I maybe didn't have to learn <laughs> over a period of time is to find a select few number of people whose opinions you do trust um, and who is going to journey this out with you and partner with you in this in this time and follow after their advice instead of listening to the whole wide world. And even if we look at the internet, I mean, as you said, there is so much out there and there's a lot about entrepreneurship, but it's about finding the people who you, you value and respect and, and honoring what they say yeah. um, and following after what they say as opposed to 50,000 different people because it just gets overwhelming and you end up in a place where you, actually, you can't make sense of it. Two points. I just find that on the internet, if you are relying on the internet, there's so much conflicting information you don't quite know. exactly even business books um i've read business books which quite literally contradict each other in terms of certain mm. aspects of business so I, I completely agree and then it's support structure is just so important and i've been very very fortunate that my family has been very supportive and i've got a very supportive mm. um partner that's and, awesome but uh looking yeah. outside you need to find somebody that's not directly related to you because <laughs> <laughs> it does help to have a little bit of independence. <laughs> um, how many people do you, if you, if you're facing a problem, how many people do you speak to to come up with a solution? Because it's no good speaking just to one. Like, do you yeah. kind of triangulate and come up with your own solution and kind of bounce it off to other people to see what their points are? Or how many different resources do you pull from when you're faced with a challenge? So, um, one of those people that suffer from analysis paralysis. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably go overboard with my research, um, which is part of the reason why I say like, if I knew earlier what I knew now to only focus on a select few, then maybe it would have made my life easier. But uh, <laughs> that being said, I would probably say for, okay, let's, let's give you a final story as we close out the, the interview. Yeah. I needed to deal with an HR issue and it was the first time that I had to deal with a situation like that. So I wasn't quite sure what to do. So what I ended up doing was I chatted to my husband because 
he deals with a lot of people and he, he's in corporate and he's involved with HR to some extent as well. So I chatted to him. I did some research online to see like what my rights are as an employer effectively and understand what is happening from a legal perspective. So I engaged with a lawyer just to understand what that would look like, just to make sure that I'm covered from a legal perspective. And then I actually engaged with my business coach and he just talked me through what a potential conversation could look like with this person. So yeah, basically I had, what was that, four sources of information that I then used to formulate my approach. But it, it was all people that I trusted. And I think that for me was quite important. And the information that I got from the different sources aligned. So for me, that was good. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, did it align? Obviously, the, the sources aligned. Did it align with your initial gut feeling? Or did you try and not have a gut feeling about how you were going to before you spoke to the people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's very natural to have a gut feeling. And especially as business owners, I think we need to rely on that gut feeling more than what we do. I think often we have our own best solution in a lot of cases. And for me, that is where business coaching comes in or business mentoring, depending on which one you look at Um, it's about unlocking that answer within the person because that person actually already knows the answer they just need a little bit of help to get to that point Um, so did it align to my original gut feeling in hindsight yes I think I didn't trust myself enough at the beginning to just have made made the call so I think I was maybe hoping for a little bit of confirmation as well as guidance along the way don't we all Uh, adulting I wish someone else would make yeah I know right adulting sucks (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much Christine this has been loads of fun I have taken up way too much of your time already so before we go it was great where can people get hold of you? Okay, so we have lots of options. Um, so you can find us on for our hashtag productivity and hashtag finance Friday on a Thursday and Friday respectively. And um, you'll be able to find that on Facebook, um, which is just Upvisor. And then on LinkedIn and Instagram, you can find us at Upvisor SA. And we do have a handle on Twitter, but we're not very active there. So like, don't worry. Um, we do have a YouTube channel, which is basically where you'll find all of our, our recordings from Hashtag Productivity and Hashtag Finance Friday. Um, and when we do other training sessions as well, that will go out on our YouTube platform. So that's a nice place just to be able to find everything in one. Um, I did do a little Excel series on Instagram during lockdown as well. So those videos can also be found there. You can find us on email at info at upvisor. That's U-P-V-I-S-O-R.co.za. And I'm sure you'll be sharing this in the yeah, notes. So that's in the, fine. In the show notes, it'll all be there. There we go. <laughs> um, and then we do also have our, our website, just upvisor.co.za, very simply. And where else are we? Oh, you, you forgot um, your, your podcast. Where, where can people ah, find your podcast? Yes, uh, the podcast is available on SoundCloud, which is also under Upvisor. I think and it is also on Spotify but we can share the links and it's called Tune in Tuesday Tune in Tuesday with Upvisor I think I think <laughs> but yeah tune in Tuesday <laughs> and and maybe check like watch the space we'll probably be, be mixing things up a little bit in the new year just in terms of the podcast um, during 2020 we had 30 interviews with other entrepreneurs about how they execute or how they live out their purpose in every day in their business so but yeah is hoping to new things happening in 2021 awesome keep evolving yeah totally cool well, let me let me release you back into the wild so you can go and help everyone with your businesses <laughs> and develop all those entrepreneurs that south africa oh, yeah. thanks for needs <laughs> and yeah we'll we'll definitely be in contact awesome thank you so much thanks cool. for your time thank you for yours <laughs> follow me on facebook and instagram at megamalist M-E-G-A-M-A-L-I-S-T. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy. That's M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Sign up to the monthly mailer on my website, megamillist.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.